0: God damn, that's good scotch. Mm-hmm.
1: This is the epic new podcast Two Idiots and a List. Where you're going to get Two Idiots and a List. And now, coming to you live. From Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fazzolo and Kirik McMillan.
2: Hello
0: again, and welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. Hey, I want to give a quick shout out to a certain Southwest Airlines pilot who enjoys hearing us while he flies the plane. Damn it, man. Get your hands back on the wheel and stop listening to a couple of idiots. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Nick Vasolo. Hey, guys, thanks for coming back. As a surprise gift, we have a little bit of a, a bonus for you. We're, having, we're adding a bonus idiot today. That's correct, Nicholas. And unless you started the podcast at exactly this moment, well, you've already heard him. Today, we are fortunate to have our announcer in the Circle Avenue Studios with us. We present to you our old
1: friend, Butts. Listen, fellas, it's, it's absolutely great to be here. I appreciate you guys letting me sit in for this, uh, for this episode today. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, you bet. Glad you could join us. Why don't you tell these folks who's on the docket for today?
1: Yeah, today we're talking about one of my absolute favorite bands of all time, and that's Pearl Jam. Band from the '90s really kind of started that you know was there in the beginning really and you know have still been rocking for 30 years so yeah
3: so let me uh, let me start this out a little bit but who were you in the fall of 1991 yeah. what were you
1: doing so that's that's a great question and the reason is because it plays into my list a little bit right so who was I in the fall of 1991 I was a college student. First time away from home, really far from home for me. This music that came out at that time was was different, right? It just it was not the same. And there's so many, you know, obviously that Seattle Sound, so many bands uh who came out of there at that time. And this one for me, at, at that time in my life, it stuck to me like you know, gum on my shoe.
0: When we talked about doing Pearl Jam, you were the first person I thought of as having a third a third person, you know, join our pod because I always associated you with Pearl Jam.
3: Yeah, naturally. Carrick, who are you in
0: 1991? (laughs) I don't know who I was in 1991. That's the point. I'm not sure I could quite find myself in 1991. (laughs) How about you? Well, I was
3: a sophomore in college, right? And I was staying at home. I was at at, uh, university here. Like everybody (laughs) that I knew... We were completely lost, like we just planets out of orbit, and yeah. we didn't quite. And I think that's kind of a collegiate experience that you know, especially young men have. Um, and we talked about it a lot during the Allison Chains uh, podcast. We won't need to go into that all that much, but like you know, we were just looking for something different. We didn't quite know what we were looking for because you know the the you know what was in my CD rack in 1991 of uh, you know of that year was you know probably. Fucking Queensryche, and you know, Van Halen's latest one. Or, you know, um, I'm still a Def Leppard fan, so I'm probably still listening to Hysteria for the 9,000th time. And, uh, you know, 1991 hit, and it was just like an atom bomb was dropped yep. on our entire world. I have the list of albums that were dropped in 91 if you care to hear it. We Let's can get through that. Hit it real quick. I'm starting with. Um, the first album of nineteen ninety one that was dropped and it was DLR's Ain't Little Bit Enough. <laughs> a little ain't enough. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a little bit in and Oh
2: fuck it. And I can't
3: Dlr starts, kicks it off, and then you've got Jesus Jones' debut in uh, January. Ooh, good band. Saigon Kick, Great White, so you can tell where this music is going. And then you've got R.E.M.'s Are the Time in March, the Bodine's Black and White in March. And then you have Temple of the Dog that was released in April 16. Then you have the Farm uh, EMF, Schubert Dip. (laughs) I love the EMF. A little thing about Schubert Dip. That whole song, that those drops. That's Andrew Dice Clay uh-huh. saying, "What the fuck?" Totally.
2: You're unbelievable. Oh, yeah.
3: Then you have got De La Soul in May. Ned's Atomic Dustbin, Godfather. You have Ice T dropping his hard rock band uh, OG. Then you've got Primus coming out in April. Pork soda sailing in a sea of cheese. <laughs> right, great, you, great album names. Yeah. Then at the end of at the end of May, you've got Smashing Pumpkins dropping Gish, NWA's second album my very favorite album of this whole era was uh, candy skin space i'm in was dropped in june it's a little known album they only made one album i think but this is a great album <laughs> Susie and the Banshees, Skid Row, uh, Slave to the Grind, <laughs> was the June album. Van Halen dropped their F-U-C-K album. I'm not going to go into the what their, their anagram. I think you've that. made it's enough just, enemies six.
0: of Van Halen fans to date. <laughs> I love it. And then
3: then you get into, hold on a second, early August, PM Dawn. Oh,
0: We've already talked just about him. The you of just silence. can't get enough. A moment of silence for PM Dawn. I feel
2: for her. I really do. And I stared at the ring finger on a hand. I wanted her to be a big PM Dawn fan, but I'll have to put it right back with the rest. That's the way it goes, I guess.
3: And then, here it goes. August 12th, Metallica's Black Album. Then the spin doctors, excuse me, burn this list. Fucking spin doctors, pocket full of kryptonite. That should not be (laughs) on. Those
0: stupid hats
3: were everywhere, (laughs) right? Yeah, toad the wet sprocket at the end of uh, the same day that Pearl Jam ten drops August twenty seventh, and then you've got Guns N' Roses use your lesion 2, one and two on the same day of the seventeenth. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Mag- Magic, the next week, uh, along with Nirvana, Never mind, yeah. was dropped after 10.
0: It's a lot to choose from.
3: Wow. Yeah, and then in October, you have Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger dropped, Vanilla Ices, I know you're a big fan there. Oh, yeah,
2: sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then you got U2's Octung Baby that was dropped in the uh, middle of November. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just like a, a bulldozer full of like just
0: crazy music and on September and October, that right there, yeah, those two weeks is crazy. Sure, sure. Yeah, the uh, Pearl Jam started as Mookie Blaylock. They were fans of the basketball uh, the basketball player, which is kind of odd. He played for the Nets. I don't know why a couple of guys from the West Coast would like him. But, I think uh, he was on the Hawks at the time that he was playing. I think you're right. Anyhow, that's right. He did play for the Hawks as well.
3: One of their first interviews was like, where does 10 come from? And it was like, well, 10 is Mookie Blaylock's number. And I thought it was a put-on. And then I'm like, I read a little bit more of the article, and it's like, no,
0: these guys actually oh, like Mookie Blaylock. Oh, yeah.
3: Like, that's it, awesome. <laughs>
0: they <laughs> named their band after him. They named their first album which was clearly their biggest when i was looking around doing research for them (laughs) google self-populated a question i was i was i don't remember what i was asking google but i i was i had typed in does pearl jam and the (laughs) the question finished with mean sperm (laughs) i never i never thought of that but (laughs) it's That makes sense.
1: So I read that too, and this is the first time I've ever heard that. So I always thought it was, you know, the, the lore around the name was always around somebody's aunt Pearl's jam. Yeah. And then later on I read that they said that it was all horseshit. It
0: was bullshit.
3: Yeah, I heard the same thing. Like somebody's jam, like like not jam is in band jam, but like their actual jelly.
0: Yeah. Vetter, <laughs> Vetter once said his grandmother was named Pearl, and then – She was married to a Native American who made peyote-laced jelly. And then he, you know, at some point after that, recounted it as Total BS. Uh, Jeff Ament actually made up the name. All right, well, we've got a lot to get to here. Uh, I guess we should probably start with our list. But you are our guest of honor. Why Why don't you kick it off with your honorable mention?
1: Yeah, so I just want to start off by saying this is incredibly hard. What you guys do here with these episodes I had no appreciation for until I sat down and tried to do this myself. And I've been agonizing over this for a while up until about an hour ago. So... Uh,
3: <laughs> Rearranging the list.
1: <laughs> for real. Absolutely. Uh, my honorable mention is off the Verses album. It's the last track on the album and that is Indifference. Oh,
2: I will spare the sundown <laughs> Until my eyes
1: Difference for me is a song that is absolutely. I remember sitting back in college and like studying and doing all this stuff, and in that that lyric, how much difference does it make? And I remember like like doing that, and I have actually caught myself as an adult walking out of meetings, just shaking my head, and I have this song going. How much difference does this make? Like, and so, uh, love that. Love that song, and it's just one of those ones that I've always carried with me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Cool tune.
3: Vedder was great for that. That's why these songs last so long, is because he is really a wonderful lyricist. I mean, he he can hang a, a phrase with the best of them, and they, they just stick, and they, they're, they're so meaningful, right? Big tapestry there.
1: Yeah, and their lyrics are so complex for a rock band. Yeah. You know, when you sit down and you really listen to what they're doing or what what Vedder is putting out there it is not you know the same repeating chorus by any means right it's they're really deep in their complex and there's a lot behind all of them
3: which I think which is why Pearl Jam kind of shot to the front forefront of all of our kind of our mindsets because we had heard all of what Poison had to say right you know, which it was, wasn't much, right? It was in the back seat of your your daddy's Ford. It was, you know, that was right. Molly Crew. It was also Leopard. It was all those right. those bands we had heard all of that. And then he's talking about you know his you know his father that left him, and, or his his mother told him his father who's actually he thinks his father's not. His father's like, whoa, right. whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. Let me clear through all of the the guitars and and the great music around. Is like,
0: what is he telling us, man? This is wild. Yeah, absolutely. You you reference them as a rock band that is a question that I kind of came up with when when I was looking at these guys. I they're often associated at least I've always kind of associated them with the grunge movement, but are they a grunge band? I think definitively. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're they've got a real straight rock kind of sound and they don't have some of the edge that the Nirvanas, the Sound Gardens, the Alice in Chains had. Now, neither did bands like Blind Melon or or some of the other bands that you've associated with that movement. But the edginess that these guys have feels a little more mainstream than, I would say, some of those other bands that I just referenced had. I don't know. In my mind, I guess I still tag them as a grunge band, but they are also, you could easily categorize them as a straight rock band group
1: yeah i mean i i too i categorize them as a grunge band for sure you know but i think when you kind of go through their catalog right i think they have changed they have ebbs and flows where they kind of move in and out of certain genres actually and so when i think of 10 i that's to me that's a very grunge band right right and then when you get to some of the later stuff and you hear some of the different influences of other bands that they're kind of bringing in i think it's uh I think they change a little bit. I, they're, just, they're just super versatile in what yep. they can do and what they can bring to the table.
0: All right, Nick, what you got for your honorable mention? I cheated.
3: I've got two. But it's, it's because one of them is them as a band and the other one is a solo act. My honorable mention for them as a band is a uh, song that they did for the movie Singles and it's State of Love and Trust. awesome rocking tune, comes right out with it, like three chords, just, just like hammering in your face. And then Eddie, as always, he's a, he's a real subtle lyricist. But his his growl and his the way that he so aggressively just chews at every lyric is like I, that's why I really appreciate him. Right. He's not screaming things like like Kurt Cobain screamed things. Mm-hmm. Like that was that's good for that band. That's what you're in the mood for, that's what you're gonna get. But he just chews up all of the lyrics and just spits them out at you. It's fantastic. And then my other honorable mention was he another song he did for a sound uh soundtrack, I think this, the movie was Into the Wild. The song was called Big Heart Son. This is him as a solo artist, and a lot of people don't. Well, maybe a lot of people don't give him credit for being a you know terrific guitarist and you know just musician altogether. That is a fantastic song, and it's very you know his acoustic version of it.
1: There's some great acoustic tracks that he did for that soundtrack on there as well. Yeah.
0: All right, my honorable mention. <laughs> you boy, you boys both knew me when this song had an impact. I am uh, I'm going back to the uh, the days before Pearl Jam. And I'm going with the Mother Love Bone song, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. Now, you both witnessed the impact <laughs> that, a, ah. that a fractured relationship had on me both from your own vir- virtual standpoints you uh, didn't know each other at the time uh, but this was my uh, i'm i'm wallowing in my own filth song when uh, when a relationship went south on me awesome song
3: yeah well, uh, just a near perfect song and and Andrew the loss of Andrew Wood maybe we should talk about mother love bone and how big that is that what a sliding door moment that is
0: so this song is actually written about andrew wood's battles with his girlfriend at the time uh, who was trying to control his drug use she's both his dancer the chloe dancer uh, and that alludes to her brief career as a stripper and she's also his torturer and that's the crown of thorns now she found him comatose at home and they brought him into the hospital, put him on life support. Eventually, had to made the decision to take him off life support, and he died at 24. Yeah. It's a tough song. It's it's got a lot of soul to it. Andrew Wood's vocals are just clutch, and uh, the the movements in this song are really what get to me. That the whole thing is just a just a build. And uh, Mother Love Bone had Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament, and most of the fellas that went on to create Pearl Jam.
2: So
1: yeah, I. So you sniped me on this one right here And this was my number two song Ah. This song for me I remember being back in college Getting the singles album Putting this in And this song stopped me in my tracks Mm -hmm. And it is a song that has been in my playlist For 30 years I probably listen to it every single week I saw an interview one time, and I couldn't find it, but I saw an interview one time where they asked Eddie Vedder if he would ever perform any of the Mother Love Bone songs, and he said there was one. And they asked him which one it was, and he said he, he didn't want to say. And then on, I believe this is correct, September eleventh, two 2011, they performed this song live for the first time. And I love the Andrew Wood version of this song. That, that to me, is number one. Sure. But... But when Eddie did this it it was a very close yeah. number two yeah. he, he just did an incredible job with it you know there, that lyric there's one lyric in here that's it's life is what you make it and if you make it death then rest your soul yeah
2: talking to my dad. said life is what you make it
1: and just you know i i just i love this song so much it is t- in as you know you mentioned Keurig. it is it's so personal for some reason yeah. right and and it's something that you know you just keep going back to yeah yeah, yeah. that was my number two. Oh, very good
3: yeah mother love bone uh, you know the tragedy of that story he dies in march of 90 and that album was already in the can it was ready for release they had a, a schedule of shows lined up they were going and that that album is one of the best albums ever put on like you know committed to vinyl and it, who knows where it would have gone from there mm-hmm. you know for sure pearl jam never gets made because they're just that that was a band that was put together for it was a supergroup out of seattle and when they lost wood gossard and amen didn't know if they would ever play in a band again because the pain was too much for them yeah. and you know that they found Eddie Vedder where they found him. I believe it's through a mutual friend drummer that knew him in San Diego yeah, and brought him was, up. Giant Irons. He was working yeah. as
0: at a uh, as a gas station attendant.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And he's completely the polar opposite of Andrew Wood on stage. Andrew Wood was a very charismatic, you know, kind of David Lee Roth type character. Whereas Eddie Vedder is very much more reserved on stage from in the beginning. Sure. It didn't turn out to be that way. <laughs> he was
0: climbing around the rafters. <laughs> All right, Butts, what you got for your number five?
1: My number five is off the uh, Yield album, and it is
2: Wishlist.
1: I love about Wishlist. It is not a complex song. It is very simple, but the entire song is about an array of different emotions. There's anger, there's sentiment, there's the need to feel important or be significant uh, to somebody. This is in my driving mix. I, I listen to this song all the time when I'm driving. I just love the simplicity of it. And actually for the first and like I said I listen to the song all the time. But for the at the very end of the song, it, it fades out a lot. And there's one last lyric that I never caught until I started prepping for this. And the last lyric of the song is I Wish I Was That Radio Song, the one that you turned up. And I can't when I finally heard it, it just brought a smile to my face because that emotion of like being in the car and you know, a great tune that you just love. It's you hit that knob and, right. and just smile. Just
0: crush it. That's cool. All right, Nick, what you got? Uh, so my number five
3: is uh, off one of their later albums. It's off of Backspacer from two thousand and nine, and the tune is Fixer. When something- First time I knew that they were coming out with a newer album. This was kind of like the the trailer version that they dropped and like, you know, they just gave you the first like two bars of the song. And I'm like, oh, okay, All right. This is back. So I'm always rooting for Pearl Jam ever since the very first album. I'm like, these are my guys. Right. To, to, To borrow a phrase from another uh, broadcaster like I bought season tickets on, on Pearl Jam like they're mine like I've got them for the whole their whole career I've got them I bought early for them and every album since then I've been like God come on guys give me another 10 give me another 10 and it's just like it seems like this diminishing rate of returns yeah. for them you know the fixer was like when I heard that I'm like they're back and it's a great song it's it's you know it's very poppy it's three and a half minutes long and it's and it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a great message to better I like his the message of his lyrics
0: very good All right, my number five. My number five is Release. This is a song Eddie Vedder wrote about learning, and you mentioned this earlier, learning that his father was actually his stepfather, and his real dad died before they could meet. It was also written in part for the guys who were mourning the death of Andrew Wood. And Vedder's voice in this is just like a, like a droning instrument. It's low and broody. It's classic Pearl Jam. And then he moves into the upper register later in the song, and it really kind of pops it up, makes it makes it bounce. Uh, it has kind of an odd instrumental ending that doubles the length of the song to nine minutes, which normally I complain about. In this case, I, I, I'd say it's not unpleasant, but it's there.
3: I always found at the end of release, and you were talking about that uh, that long instrumental outro. Um, this was I had this um, at a time when we all had CDs, and we also had the tape right (laughs) right, and um, so when you played release and you just let it play that instrumental actually when it reverses and it goes back to playing once like it kind of flows into the once instrumental coming into the song so I never minded that it was like I knew that the next because I always play I played it on repeat constantly I never rewound or fast forwarded 10 I was always where I was that's where we're playing it from and then we're just going to loop it around
1: it's an amazing album and that song is amazing
0: yeah yeah all right, Butts, what you got for your number four?
1: This one was really, this one was tough. This one was off my list, on my list, off my list. So uh, the number four uh, that I have is off the 10 album, and it is Black. Black is known to be one of their greatest songs. Like, people love this song.
3: The signature.
1: Yeah. And the reason that I I struggle with this is because, and this is kind of weird, but I had read a Rolling Stone article back in college about this song, and it was talking about Eddie Vedder being on a beach... And all of a sudden, he's sitting there, he's taking in the moment, and he hears people behind him start singing the song. And runs up and tells them that, stop, like, this is too personal, or whatever he said, but he was upset. And he kind of, like, startled, you know, it startled these people, as I think if my memory serves me correctly, on the article as, as he was relaying it. And so that always kind of stuck with me about this particular song. And the version that I like the best of of this particular song is from the MTV Unplugged. So there is, whenever they play this song live, there is an extra lyric at the end. You know, if you watch the MTV Unplugged or you listen to it, at the very end, he, he bellows, like, we belong, we belong together, right? It's not in the studio version, but almost every time I have heard them play it, he adds that extra lyric, and I love it. Like, it just brings the anguish out of the song that it's trying to to bring forward. You know, I struggle with this one, and I I don't really know why, and it actually played into something later in life. I I had someone come to me at one point and say, hey, listen, I know somebody who's close to Eddie Vedder. And I know what a huge fan you are and I could probably get you, you know, this is when the Cubs were doing all their stuff in 2016 and he was always in town. And they're like, I could probably get you in the same room with them if you wanted to meet them. And my first reaction was no.
0: Never meet your rock stars, right? Never meet
1: your heroes. This person was like, well, what do you mean? No. And And I said, well, what if he's an asshole? <laughs> I'm like, I love this music and I would I don't wanna take the right. risk. I don't wanna lose it. And they're like, Are you sure? I'm like, Yeah, man,
3: I'm sure that's funny yeah he used to hang out at Wrigley Field a lot and uh, my cousin uh, is was a police officer down there and uh, I remember him telling me that he ran into like he saw him underneath a Cubs hat at Murphy's Bleachers once just sitting by himself and it was a day game or whatever and he was in uniform and he walked up to him and he's like hey man I really like your work this was 97 98 maybe a little bit later but he was definitely you know a rock star for sure and uh, he kind of tilts up his hat and he's like thanks man and he's like hey do you uh," I think he asked him if you wanted an autograph or whatever i don't know if he he offered it to him but he's like he's like hey, you got a business card so he, he gave him his his officer's business card he, he wrote
0: stay careful out there <laughs> well, black was uh black was my number two i love this song a great bluesy groove to a depressing song right uh the the falsetto vocals uh towards the end the do 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 those are great Stone Gossard said he mimics Stevie Ray Vaughan in the guitar in this song. Yeah. And you can hear it. If you if you listen for it, you can hear it. 2011 Rolling Stone poll uh, voted Black as the ninth best ballad of all time. Yeah. Think about the
3: emotional energy that it takes for Eddie Vedder to do a set. Like
0: yeah. He has to come
3: up with, like, from 30 years ago when he wrote that song, it's like he's got to well that all up again. Because he's got to sell it to the fans, and he does. Like I've seen their yep. live performances on YouTube, and he always delivers. Always. I mean, that's got to take it—the emotional, you know, load that he has every, you know, for those two hours or whatever. that's, yeah. that's heavy. Because a lot of, the, as we've seen our list already, it's a lot of heavy-duty emotional stuff. That yeah. he's, it's it's all very personal to him. Too. His
0: his line in this is one, of, or one of his lines in this is, I think, my favorite lyric from these guys. He sings, "Someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be a star." In somebody else's sky, why can't it be mine? hmm listen to a little Chloe dancer and then trip into that one yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but then, like, for a long night that's right but just, I mean that line itself is just so iconic that that lyric yeah. is, is so iconic and it just speaks again to what Eddie Vedder brought to this band it, it like you said it's the energy it's the emotion it's the grit and it's lyrics like that that just that never part with you it never leaves you
0: right right okay that brings us to your
3: number four Nick what you got uh, so my number four is off the Versus album, and it is a song called Dissident. I always like the uh, the intro to the the interesting thing about verses, like I said, like I always root for them to like bring us another ten. And I thought like verses when I heard verses, like when I, when I first had it, I'm like, all right, this is it. And it starts off great. As a matter of fact, every single song, the first thirty seconds of every single song on that album are like these are this is a great song. And then it just kind of like trails
0: off. Yeah, mm. I remember feeling a little shortchanged by verses because I was in the same boat. Right, where's the next ten? Yeah, and it was like. I mean, I like the album. It's it's good for
3: what it is. It, it's it's more like a document for me. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like this is nineteen ninety. You know, what was it nineteen ninety three or whatever yeah, it was. Three or four. And it was more of a document for me. But a uh, dissident. Um, I like the you know the guitars as it starts out and the way again he just growls out these lyrics and as it, as it ramps up in, in this in the story and the narrative of the of the song. Um, he just can't let go of it and then he just like lets it go. Like it's really great. I
1: I, I like that. Yeah, I, I, I follow through. Yeah, I like that song too, and I'm I'm going to agree and disagree with you guys. So I agree, like the first thirty seconds of every song is some of those openings are iconic. Mm-hmm. Like you hear it and you know yeah. exactly yeah. that it's Pearl Jam. But I like this album. I I, I really do. I, I and I guess it probably just goes to the the fan that I am. But I you know as I hear often the I can listen to this T to B,
3: root I, to fruit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I uh, I really like that
3: album. Yeah, but uh, don't get me wrong. I don't. It's not that I don't like the album. It's ten, and everything after that. It's like ah, just so close. Yes. And like versus is one of those albums. It's like yeah, it's really close. It's really yeah. good. It's just not like I, I'm putting way too much pressure on that band, and
0: they felt it. Yeah, no, they I agree. felt it. My number four is WMA. drums in this song are unbelievable. This is a real frenetic high energy uh, drum line. It's got this simple repeating bass riff. Uh, the acronym stands for White Male American. Apparently Vetter was out on the street with a black friend uh, when the cops started hassling his buddy. And uh, apparently Vetter was a mess at the time. He was like really, really grunged out. Hadn't showered in a week. His clothes were kind of torn. And the guy that he was with you know, looked a heck of a lot more polished than he did, and yet the cops were screwing with him. And Vetter was so pissed that he went back and he wrote the song. It's just a really powerful tune. Uh, the music was actually written by Abru- Abruzzesi, Zesi, the drummer. I don't know how you pronounce his name. Abruzzia. Abru- Abruzia. Yeah, Abruzzese. So it just has a different feel to it. Vetter sounds pissed and it comes through. It comes through in the in the edge on his lyrics and and, the, and what he's singing about. I really dig this tune. Well that's off of
3: verses, right? Correct. He's got a lot of songs on that that album, like like Glorified G is an anti-gun song.
1: Alright, brings us to our number threes. That's what you got. So my number three is Man of the Hour. Hour was uh, written for the soundtrack Big Fish. I have never seen Big Fish. I believe it was a Tim Burton movie. It was. But this tune for me, it's all about relationships and legacy. And it's, it also has a spiritual piece to it too that I really like. You know, some of the opening lyrics of the song, father always enjoyed collision, others walked away. That's kind of his, his dad's legacy is this combative, you know, you get this image. You know, a snowflake falls in May, so a snowflake by itself is already unique, but then out of place, right? So, you know, it, it's about this relationship, it's about the legacy that's left behind, but in the song, it's, it's not goodbye. The lyric is, goodbye for now. And that spiritual aspect of the song, I just, I love. And they've dedicated this song to Lou Reed, to Lane Staley, when they've played it live. Um, I actually, at one point had told my wife that at my funeral I wanted this played, uh, that's how much...
3: planning We're we are yeah. all at the planning stage right
0: now?
1: Yeah. Fuck. We're not even 50 yet. I'm nice. almost 50, right? How right
0: old are we?
1: Yeah, so I've since changed it. Uh, it's not a Pro Jam song, but I, uh, this song to me, I just, I, I love this song.
3: I want Gods of War played at my song. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: my.
0: <laughs> you disgust me. <laughs> what you got for number three there? Leopard. <laughs> uh, okay, so number
3: three, uh, I have uh, a, a tune off of their 2002 album. I think that was Riot Act, right? Yeah, and it was uh, the tune is "I Am Mine." Another really, really easy kind of song. It's, you know, very very simple-ish, kind of musically progressive song. His lyrics are, you know, talking about... Kind of like a redemption kind of song, but what I really like about it is at the very end, the outro to the song is one of Stone Gossard's one of my favorite solos from him, and it's really it's really good. He just wails on you know Eddie Vedder's last lyric, and Stone Gossard kind of comes right in like a ramp and like uh, you know jumps over the Grand Canyon with his solo. It's really great, and I like it.
0: That brings us to my number three. I'm going to 10 and I'm going with flow. was the first song that really caught my ear by this band and it's where I heard Vedder's voice really kind of shine I love the guitar drops after Eddie sings the verses it's, it's almost like Steve Vai playing with David Lee Roth and, and Yankee Rose, though not quite as cartoonish uh, the song is about homelessness he sings about a pillow made of concrete uh, the rhythm section during the solos in this song are integral to driving it the album version is actually different from the version that they used in the video uh, which was recorded while they were tracking the singles soundtrack songs. It's got a kind of a classic ending where he mumbles, yeah, yeah, motherfucker. And uh, this song always worked for me. This was something that I remember when we were in college and we had a a head full of uh, Black Label or Schaefer or whatever god-awful beer we were drinking and, you know, this thing would come on and it just it just gave you energy. This is a cool
3: tune. It's a crazy album. It's a crazy song. I, mean, I remember dancing to this shit in dance bars <laughs> <laughs> up in Northern. It's like you know, Jeremy would come on and maybe we'd be like running to the dance floor. I don't know what we were thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know the thing about Evenflow. The one thing that I remember about this is it was really, it was if not their first one of their very first videos on MTV, and it's a it's a concert video. And he's climbing the rafters and doing all this crazy stuff. If I'm remembering it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And the drop of flow, he drops off the rafters into the crowd. And I always thought like, that's fucking awesome, right?
1: right? And so it was kind of like the first time you got to see these guys, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and bring them to the and you're like watching him do all this stuff. And and you're right, this song is incredible. It's it's iconic for them, yeah. right? It is. You know what you're getting? Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's great. And yeah. the video just kind of introduced you to like okay here these guys are and here's this lead guy and he's I, he's he's going nuts. pearl yeah.
3: jam has very few videos and the one video that everybody remembers is the jeremy video That's why they have so few videos because they're like, people are like, that is horrifying, dude, Uh, and they're like, well then fuck it, we're not going to do it because there's an unedited version of that video. It's not their blood, right, on the kids. It's his. Like that was the whole message. Like you fuck with people enough, and you're going to push them to an edge where they're going to break. And this is what. But the whole video, the unedited video, is the whole scene of that. Like they didn't pull any punches oh wow well, I, di- I didn't know that yeah. and mtv was like no fucking way are we showing that we'll show you know edit this part out." it's crazy dude and that's why they're like we're not doing videos anymore which is you want concert footage here you have the concert footage
0: i also read something that said they didn't like videos because it prevented you from creating your own visual visual experience of what they were doing right and and who they were Yeah, you know, kind of like instead of reading the book you watch the movie instead and that's what they they wanted to, you to form your own sort of mental image when you right. listen to a song and not let them create that image for you.
1: Yeah. That particular video, though, too, um, even though we're not talking about that song, mm-hmm. it, the imagery in that video is startling. And I actually went back and, and watched it. And he never looks at the camera. When he's right. singing that song, he never looks at the camera. It's not like he's singing it to you. It's like he's recalling. Right. This to himself and yeah. thinking about it himself. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was yeah,
0: that's that, that's a heavy song. That video won the VMA that year. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
3: And then to contrast that with like, you know, who they've always been put in contrast with Nirvana, Nirvana went out of their way to make videos. You know, that's how they made their name. Like they were, they, they went from, you know, dropping their album in September to number one, you know, a couple of months later and, you know, I think it was New Year's Eve, December or whatever. And they went that, that video, that Nevervine video uh, or the uh, Smells Like Team Spirit video, like that's what made them popular. People are like. What the fuck is this? Like, this you know, is like crazy. Zombie stage. cheerleaders and dancing. They, yeah, and they, they continued to make albums like that, whereas, like, Eddie Vedder had a tight control on the imagery of that band and where it's, you know, commercially where it was going to go. Now, it spun wildly out of control for Nirvana, which I think added to his pressures, but, like, Teddy, Eddie Vedder kind of like had it together, which is why they've lasted for so long, but right. also why they've had a lot of internal strife, especially in the beginning of that band. Like, him and Stone Gossard were kind of like at odds with each other for years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. That brings us to our fantasy concert lineup. What's who are you going to see Pearl Jam with?
1: Yeah, so this is this was tough, and the reason that it's tough is because there there was a concert that actually Exactly. Exa- actually <laughs> existed. It was the Chili Peppers, Nirvana, and Pearl Jam, right? And the fact that wow. it actually existed, I kind of I have another list, but I I I don't know. I I feel like because it actually happened, it's probably...
3: Red Hot Chili Peppers were out um, supporting Red Hot uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. They brought Pearl Jam along. And then as they're swinging through Chicago, they picked up Smashing Pumpkins, who were supporting Gish. And they played at the uh, Duke Ellington Ballroom at Northern Illinois University.
2: Oh,
0: wow.
3: On October 17th, 1991. So, this <laughs> is a month after they dropped
0: that album. And you were there. I mean, you were at, you were at Northern. Illinois I was at University. Northern that day, That day,
3: I was oh. there, and our buddy Kurt was walking out the door and we're like, Where are you going, buddy? we are got parties to go to. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go, sh- you know, catch a Chili Peppers show. I knew who the Chili Peppers were, right? Mother's Milk was right. a big album. And I'm like, Cool. All right. We'll check you later. And he went and he came back about, you know, whatever it was, three hours later, and he had 10 with him they sold it in the lobby wow. and he's like he's like the chili peppers were good but this band is fucking awesome and nobody knew who it was because it's right. like 10 didn't drop and like everybody had to get it it's like no. everybody had to get nirvana but like nobody knew it so kurt was the one who's like like he came home from that show and he's like let's listen to this because they were fucking awesome i'm like all right let's give it a shot and everybody was like oh, oh, oh holy shit yeah. yeah yeah gnarly dude that have,
1: is a crazy show
0: have you guys seen pearl jam live Ever. Yeah. I had my opportunity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I saw him and it was the whole time when they were going through everything with Ticketmaster uh-huh. and having that whole controversy. Yep. You and I were in college at the time living next door to each other. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was our area code, but I remember calling and we got through right away. Yep. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yeah. Heck yeah. And uh, bought tickets. And it was one of the very first concerts. My, I took my wife, who is now my girlfriend, now my wife. It was the second show that summer. I took her to the dead, and I took her to Pearl Jam.
0: (laughs) She should have known. (laughs) Yeah, the tickets came with our names on them, because Pearl Jam was in a battle with Ticketmaster. They were upset that Ticketmaster held the monopoly on concert venues, so they went on a tour, and they were only able to book places that hadn't already been contracted with Ticketmaster. And Soldier Field, where the Chicago Bears play, happens to be one of those locations. and. Because you bought them directly through the band, they came with your name on them. I still have my stub. I'll put something up on uh, social media so so that you guys can see what this looks like. Actually, funny story about that show. I was there with a fella that Nick and I went to high school with, who you also know. And there was was a, a couple in front of us. And I don't remember the song, but at some point... Our buddy grabs my arm, and I look at him, and he points down. And the couple in front of us was very much inspired by whatever song was being played. I remember that. To the point at which uh, it's entirely possible that a another person was made right in front of us. A <laughs> pro jam, baby. I
1: remember hearing that story when we got back to school. <laughs> All
0: right, Nick, who you got for your... Uh, for your fantasy concert lineup.
3: All right, who do I want? I want to. I want to see Rage Against the Machine, Pro Jam, and uh, I'd like to see Soundgarden. that order, I think. That all works.
0: I want to see Blind Melon. Shannon Hoon, from Lafayette, Indiana, by the way, didn't realize this, died at 28 on his tour bus from a cocaine overdose. I love that tune, No Rain. That's just uh, it's a great groove. That's all they really did, too. Right? That's it. I can't listen to that
3: song without thinking about that tragedy.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, a it's, bummer, man. It's not happy music. it's like. Music. Yeah, it's
3: like it's yeah.
0: <laughs> and then uh, this one, for some reason, felt like a decent fit for these guys. I want to see Weezer. Weezer?
2: Here's the water Takes the
1: I didn't little, see that coming.
0: Little Rivers Cuomo? Well, I do like to throw the curveballs in. I am the one who called the uh, locomotive breath for
1: Big <laughs> Floyd. Right, right.
0: Uh, <laughs> Still in therapy for that. <laughs> Odd note on Rivers Cuomo one of his legs was two inches shorter than the other. He had surgery at 25 where they had to break the bone and then brace it to make it longer. Ouch. That's gnarly. Yeah. Say it ain't so. I've played this with. Uh, a couple of bands, and it was my absolute favorite song to cover. So I just I thought I thought Weezer and uh, and Pearl Jam would be a good matchup. I want to change my list. Fuck that! I'm not <laughs> happy with my list. I mean, I just thought of it. I'm like, You're an idiot.
3: I want to see. Um, well, if we're doing that, I want to see uh, Mother Love Bone play a set, oh, then okay. Pearl Jam, and then I want to see Temple of the Dog because that those three those three albums in a row were yeah. fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and if you think about like here's. Y- you're Eddie Vedder, and all of your friends, all of the front men, are gone. Yeah. Scott Weiland. Uh-huh. Um, Kirk Cobain. Kirk Cobain, although they weren't friends, they patched things up at the end. Lane Shannon Staley. Coon, Lane Staley. Shannon Hoon, Andrew, Andrew, that's Andrew Wood, although he didn't know him. They would affected greatly his relationship with those guys. Right. Like, you're the last one standing. Yep. Like, that's fucking spooky shit. Had to be tough.
1: I, I did have another list, and... Uh... <laughs> Uh, it was, you know, Allison changed jar flies. Stone Temple Pilots, Vatican Gift Shop. Then, of course, you know, Pearl Jam you know, headlining, you know, but back to a lot of the people that you were just talking about that are, are no longer here Fun. right. You know, right. and, and but seeing the, a show like that.
3: Here's another thing about those guys. They were the, the top rock stars in the world. None of them were legendary stickmen, <laughs> right? Who's the guy that got right. all the, like, none of them were no. like, you didn't see them like, no. vamping around with all these chicks. Like who's the legendary stickman of the age? Adam right. Durst. <laughs> right? That <laughs> motherfucker they, pulled everybody. They did two of the three friends. Right? I mean, this guy, that goofy head of he's hair just hanging out in the viper room just like fucking like a, nobody else is here. They're all fucking on the nod. I'm the only guy up yeah, cuz right. I do cocaine. I don't really know if he does cocaine, but listen, he on the viper room a lot. A, a, <laughs> uh,
0: Nick Facolo. <for> <laughs>
3: Right. which is like you know that goes to like the balance of like in the 80s those guys were all rocket fuel and cocaine and Shit. they were banging if they weren't playing music they were banging and in <laughs> you know the, it was it was Vince Neil that said he's like I don't know what the fuck happened he's like all we did in the 80s and uh, in the 80s was talk about like partying and having a fun uh, having a good time and meeting girls and then and, and someone flipped a switch and, and everything is depressing like and we just couldn't compete right like that that switch like he had it nailed like something happened there yeah like, there was a, a
0: focus shift. People got sick of the bullshit, right? I mean, it those bands that you're talking about, the, the crews, the slaughters, the poisons, they all sang about the same fucking thing. Yes. You can't sing about women constantly and expect that you're going to retain an audience after a certain amount of time. I, you know, it just, it was, it was vapid. It was dumb. But to rack focus to... The polar opposite is, right.
3: you know, I guess it's, I guess it's arts. I guess that's what we were looking for. I mean, obviously yeah. we made, it was supersonically popular yeah. immediately yeah. overnight. Yeah. Like there's only a couple of bands that survived. Like you, you two survived, you know, I think Def Leppard crawled through the ashes, but they were never the same. That just, they they just, they killed everybody.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, butts, what you got for number two? Uh, You snipe my number two, which was...
0: uh Chloe Dancer, that is correct. All right, Nick, that brings us to yours. What you got? Off of Vitology, I love the song Nothing Man. And you
2: forget
3: song is about as an escape from a bad relationship and uh, there's this one part of the lyrics in the verse in the second of the verse where like I can't I don't know, remember it verbatim but it was like he she questions him on something and that that was, was that the, the the mystery of that lockdown relationship is over and she just escapes it. and I, and he's left with nothing and i think that's such a, a an empowering song i think that's why i like it so much is because the, the song is you know it's very much a I, I hope it's a pro-women song. That's the way I take it to mean. And uh, I'm, I'm very, you know, that's, that's always a very
0: moving song. All right. My number two is Black, which Butts, you sniped earlier. So we're going to go to our number ones. And instead of uh, starting with Butts, we're going to let you go last since you are a guest of honor. All right. Thank you. Nick, what do
3: you have for number one? So turning around again to, it's off of Yield and the song is Given to Fly. This is another one of those songs that's just kind of when it starts out, it's an iconic, you know, kind of riff that uh, Stone plays. I think it's Stone. Really complex music that leads to Vetter's, you know, just Vedder, they put Vedder's um, voice on the forefront of the song. It's another example of him just ramping up his lyrics to this ultimate, you know, passionate drive of, you know, like his main final point in the song is like escaping. It's, it's great. I love it. That's it's a great song.
0: Yeah, it, it, fantastic song. hmm Yep. All right, my number one is Not For You. dig the way this song just busts in with heavy percussion super bright drums to start they're not he's not doing a lot he's just hitting a, a real crisp drum line and then the bass comes in and the bass doesn't really play the melody but it ends ends each phrase in an off key and kind of counters the guitar heavy grungy song at the choruses Vetter's is really raw Vedder wrote the song about young adults, teens, and early 20-somethings being exploited for sales by the music industry. And he included Pearl Jam in that complaint. You know, said that they were as guilty of this as you know, anybody else. I, I, really, I really dig the way that this song goes. I like the message of it. And it, to me, this is their version of Rage Against the Machines, Killing in the Name of. It has that same feel to it, that same sort of angst and edge, and fuck you. Fuck you,
2: I will what you tell me. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell
1: me. Yeah, I, I never knew what that song was about. But, I, yeah, it's a great song. I Yeah, I had never heard that before. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, Butts, what you got for number one?
1: So I'm going <laughs> to break this up a little bit. Nick, you asked me in the beginning, you know, who, who was I, right? And as I, <laughs> you know, in 1991, right? And as I did this, as I did this list and I came to number one, I thought about that. I thought, you know, as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old guy, what would my list look like? And it wouldn't look like it does, right? It would look very, yeah, very sure. different. right? And so I have the 18-year-old, Butts, and then number <laughs> one, and then the 48-year-old, Butts, number one. right? So, uh, so sorry to break format. That's it's, right. The 18-year-old Butts number one song is also off the Vitalogy album, and it is Corduroy. Song. The band itself it sounds like they are at their pinnacle. Every member of the band is on. I mean that song. The drums, the bass, all of it. They are rocking. It just and there's also again with the lyrics, right? You know, uh, I would rather starve than eat your bread, right? Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to take what you can't give. That line, I don't want to take what you can't give, is something that I've carried around in in evaluating things, in situations. It's a good way to look at life. It really is, right? And it's just, you want to make sure that you're being fair and equitable and, sure. and all those things. And I've always, uh, my wife and I talk about that all the time, you know, in certain situations are like, we don't want to take what somebody can't, right. can't what they can't give, right? Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, just, and it, you know, the 18-year-old and just rocking song and you know, like you like you were mentioning before, just you know, running out there and you know, loving it. So yeah, love love that song. Great Tim. As a matter of fact, that song was what they walked up to when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh. Which I just found out today. I didn't realize that. And then the forty eight year old Butts, the old man number one song is off the Backspacer album and it is Just Breathe.
2: Stay That particular
1: song is, you know, a reflection of being, uh, I think, being older and, and and recognizing what you have and and being appreciative for it. Talks about people you can count the people that he loves on two hands, and you know, the lyrics escaping me at the moment. But you know, it's just it's just about appreciation and it's about continuing for me. You know, whatever the song was meant to be, but for me, it's also about. You know, continuing that relationship beyond the other side, that spiritual piece of it. And it it just really speaks to me as an almost 50-year-old man. It's something that I found long after Backspacer came out, but it's something I I, I really love. I, I think it's a sweet song.
3: Yeah, I agree with that, too. I agree with the whole sentiment of that what that song is and what it means to, you know, people who are now Eddie Vedder's age also. We kind of, you know, we grew up yeah. together with him. And you see that, you know, the arc of his maturity where, you know, I doubt very much he's drinking bile
0: beer behind the stage, you know, anymore. I, I would hope not.
3: <laughs> right. But, yeah, I agree with all of that. That's, that's awesome.
0: All right. That brings us to The Most Hated. Nick, what you got for your most hated?
3: Before we get to the most hated, you may not have noticed this, but my top five list—none of my list included anything off of ten. And I know that well. You guys got your say, but I just wanted to—we're going to we're gonna have this conversation. Ten deserves to be in the pantheon. Yes. Okay, that was Great. a gamble on my part. That's-
1: Agreed? Oh, you're never going to get an argument for me. About <laughs> this that. album this album's unbelievable.
3: I listened to it today right before I came over. I just quickly ran through the tracks and I'm like, "No, it's cuz you pulled some Svengali bullshit on me last time with like uh Dark Side of the Moon isn't uh, uh in, isn't in the uh, in the pantheon That's I'm something like, I got to sleep with at night. It's 100 seconds you couldn't fucking just go take a piss or something. What the fuck? It's like so hey, you're not going to pull this bullshit on me. That, that album from the top to bottom, I was like, no, that's a good, no, they're all fucking classic. And every single song is perfectly placed in the album itself. Release being the last song, which is, by the way, my absolute favorite song of theirs of all time is release. It's just a fucking awesome album. And it's going in the pantheon. I'll smuggle it in. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, you know, so I had guilt. So originally, like I said, I was, I was going back and forth and I did not have one song off 10. I felt guilty about it because it is such an incredible album. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: That's what that's my that was my gamble. Right. Right. I didn't put any of them on there because they all deserve to be on there. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fold back this one into the end zone.
0: All right. That brings us to our most hated. I had to search high and low for this one. I really, I really didn't find something that that jumped at me like I have with other bands in the past. And actually, Nick, you had it in your top five, and it's Nothing Man.
2: Walks on his own With thoughts he can't help thinking Future's above But in the past he's slow and sinking
0: Most hated is a strong term. Probably liked... least is a better term (laughs) there's something a little whiny about it uh vetter's pronunciation makes him sound a little like a hillbilly Uh, i'm searching hard here small criticism yeah i'm (laughs) searching hard here to come up with one for this category because I, i could name stuff off of albums that i didn't know as well and that really wouldn't count this and i'm sure they had some clunkers in their other albums but uh you know the ones that i knew best i didn't really find anything that i that i disliked that much I agree with you. I had a problem with this, too. Um, but I did come across, like,
3: the, the entire album of No Code, like, I just didn't get it. It was like a flex for them. Right. And you're going to buy it, and you're going to be okay with it. And we will play a couple of these tunes in concert,
1: but, like, we know that you're here for the first three albums. Yeah. No Code was the last Pearl Jam CD I ever bought. Right. Like, I, I, you guys saw I went and dug all sure, of my right. stuff out, and I'm going through it, and I had actually forgotten that I had bought it. When
0: I was talking earlier about Pearl Jam being in a a grunge, you know, were they grunge? If you listen to their first three albums, they're really heavy. And then they get to No Code, it could have been fucking Mumford & Sons. Yeah. it was. I thought it was really bad. I didn't like it.
3: Not one. When I was doing the review of this band, I was like, I went through No Code. And I'm like, I know this album I never listened to. And and I'm like, oh, oh, that's why. Because all of these songs were just like, I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. Yeah. I don't need blue grass, right. from Seattle.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> What's your most hated, Butts? It's, ca- it's a song called Hey Foxy Mop Handle Mama. Honestly, Dad, really? No, I
2: mean, he's got the nerve to me. Hug me. Hug me. he got the nerve to me. Everything seems to hate that. Everything seems to hate that. And I don't know if that's my advantage.
1: I don't like it just because I hate it already. (laughs) So so it's a really like weird and dark and psychedelic song. And and Eddie Vedder took six audio clips from a very obscure documentary about a halfway house in Saint Paul, Minnesota, called "A Matter of the Mind." And someone on Reddit actually found it. But it's just all these strange little clips, and it's it's the the music is strange. The insert of the clips are strange. It's disturbs, you know. I don't like it. I, I've, I've tried. I, literally, I tried to listen to, through it. It's like a seven-minute song. I could not get all the way through it. I, I just I couldn't do it.
0: <laughs> all right. That uh, brings us to our... Uh, what the deuce? Some fool has left a bottle of 12-year-old scotch down here. Craft Services is uh, falling behind. Well.
3: <laughs> wow. Kirk's table mood because his erection got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers butts. Cheers. You're the guy that I missed most in the pandemic. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Like I am right. Because I saw, you know, my family members in this asshole, but yeah. I was like, you know, I can't wait to see butts again.
0: Oh, oh. Mother's, mother's milk. milk. Damn fine scotch, son. The remainder of this episode is brought to you by Lagavulin. <laughs> I thought kicking off the coolest four sections with uh, a bit of scotch would be a good thing. So uh, I have four of them. I don't know how many of you guys have. I
3: hit a shit ton, but I'm only going to do a couple. Yeah. Like, like uh, Corduroy, to... you, already, like, you already talked about Corduroy. Yeah. The lyrics on Corduroy are the coolest fucking lyrics when they start off. Like, the waiting drove me mad. You're finally here and I'm a mess. Like... I know exactly what you're talking right. about. That's a great line. Right? I love yeah. that line. I love that. It's line. awesome. It, and his voice may not sound better on any other track that he's done. Like it's just uh, something right there for you.
1: I, I agree 100. I just think I think all of them are just on.
0: I have uh, the opening out of the guitar solo in once they break into a repeated rundown with the drums and the bass and the guitar playing in unison.
1: best four seconds. It's the opening to a song. It's kind of an obscure song by them but it's called Dirty Frank. just kind of break into it it's got a cool funk to it the the song's okay it's not a bad song but the opening it's i really dig that's cool, cool man cool. yeah
3: in rearview mirror the chorus they do a really cool thing like the coolest thing about that so i like that song a lot but it's a very comfortably numb type of thing that they do with the bass line the baseline kind of bops up as as the chorus continues to go up kind of bobs up, and then, it, and, then it, and then it starts all over again. Amen is really, like, he's the unsung hero, hero of this band. Like, yeah. like he yeah. tightens that whole, those two guitar guys, like, you know, one of them is, you know, very uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. The other guy is, you know, very bluesy, and he tightens them two together, and they're perfect together, and Amen is, like, a lot of that. Just, when you listen to 10 as much as I have and much as we have, like, I started listening, like, all right, I'm going to listen to all of 10, but this time I'm only going to listen to the bass line. And then this time around, I'm only going to listen to the drums. <laughs> like that's like you started to go through that progression of like. But that was that's. Uh, I really liked that in Rearview Mirror.
0: Yeah, yeah. I liked the opening to Rats. It's off of Verses. There's an awesome bass line on that
1: groove. <laughs> There is. A, yeah. And I don't particularly like that song. No. No. Like
0: <laughs> no.
3: Yeah. The I'm first, first yeah. 30 seconds of every song on that album are really yeah. cool. Like, like, you can go through, like, Elderly Woman Behind the Counter. Like, that's a cool start. Sure. Daughter is a cool start. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Really, I mean, the whole, like, you just give me the first 30 seconds of everything. <laughs>
1: yeah. I had the opening of Daughter is one of the coolest yeah. four seconds just because I think it's iconic. I mean, you hear it and you know exactly what's coming. <laughs>
3: Last Kiss,
2: the whole song. It's really cool.
3: I love, I'm a sucker for like 50s throwback songs. That's exactly what it was. They did it as a fucking joke. Like it was a lark to them and it ends up being their number one, like their biggest charting song ever. Huh. It's such a, it's a cool, it's, you know, simple rockabilly slow oh, down
1: yeah. to. Yeah, know. it's definitely a throwback.
3: Yeah. Man, right. Yeah, it's, uh, I forget the, the artist who did it before, but I, sh- I should have written it down. But the, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, a, it's a, it's a cover of a, like a 1962 song or something like that.
0: I had, uh, and this is the only song that I actually recognized off of No Code, and it was present tense. There's a really heavily distorted guitar effect over the choruses, and it's just him and that guitar. And I, I like how that comes together.
1: I had uh, I had one for it's a song called Blood and there's kind of this 70s like 36 seconds in there's like this kind of 70s guitar thing some reason, I always picture like John and Ponch going down the LA yes. freeway, right? You know, it's just what? after they after they just nailed a perp. You know.
0: <laughs> when you were a kid on your big wheel, it was always chips, and it was always a fight over who got to be who. And I'm trying to remember, I think John was like the guy that everybody wanted to be Eric Estrada. Right. right? right. He always wanted to be Ponch. Yeah. Right. And John with his with his like blonde leather gloves. Right. <laughs> right. Ponch had the black leather ones. Yeah, because totally Ponch like, didn't
3: take shit from anybody. No. He was a street tough that turned good guy. And that's why you wanted to be with... You could identify, identify with the black and the white in Ponch. John was only there... He was milk toast. As, and it's right. He was there for window dressing, eye candy. <laughs> Maybe it's the scotch talking. <laughs>
1: The other one is the opening to Better Man. what i like about it if you remember there's kind of this haunting music it's a little it's a little haunting it's a little dark and then all of a sudden he kind of goes into the riff that we all know of of better man and it's almost like a prelude to what he's about like the chaos right Mm -hmm. that is about to ensue that the song is about yeah and so i've always really dug that
0: that's cool man very cool i love that song that's
1: good that's great too
0: All right. Sisters of Mercy. Do you want more? These
3: guys dropped off my radar a long time ago. Long time ago. A long time ago. And I think it was just that oversaturation Mm -hmm. of, you know, it was nonstop.
0: How many times did you listen to 10? 100, 200, I can't 300, count. 300 yeah. times, yeah. you know. Dude, in the first year, maybe. I mean, it was just crazy how <laughs> yeah. much that,
3: Like, that and Dirt, like, were always on. Like, Never, yeah. Nevermind was a big album, but Dirt and, and this this one was the top because, the young women that we were hanging around with, they heard dirt and they're like, eh, little too yeah, heavy. Yeah, it's a, little I, I too think heavy. That, that you're on something, but Pearl Jam, like they, yeah. you know, there's whole thing going on there. So I don't and think
0: that was like more popular for us. The beauty of Pearl Jam is when you listen to them now, you're not saddled with the weight of mm. Alice in
2: Chains. Yeah, true. You know,
0: with with Alice and Chains, you are, you, you have this albatross of heroin that is really. Really tough to kind of get from under, yeah, out from under. And when we did our Alice in Chains episode, we kind of struggled a little bit to try to get our arms around what that was and what it meant. You don't have that with Pearl Jam, so yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. Like,
3: I will be updating the playlist with uh, several of these tunes,
1: yeah. I mean, I agree, I they fell off my radar too. And Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan, like I said, the last album I bought was No Code, but as I've discovered things older I have a different appreciation for the band and 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 like some of the things that they're doing that it's just so different and again spiritual and meaningful and just I, I don't know yes I want yeah, I want more
0: no I'm with you I've uh, uh, it was it was fun to get back into this stuff and I, I missed it I missed it yeah. Whenever I hear like
3: anything, even from Temple of the Dog, like, you know, that it's instant nostalgia for, you know, those those days in college where, you know, we didn't really didn't have a whole lot of shit together there. You know, no. I was a fucking 19 yes. year old kid, you know, drinking too much, not sleeping enough. I had a fucking diet like a stray dog. Like, I mean,
0: just like it was yeah, not right. a healthy time for oh, me. You know? Whoppers are two for two dollars. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, let's
3: get four. You know, and uh, I just, uh, you know, it's it's. I think, but that's a common thread that we all kind of shared, and and that's why you know we were doing a podcast on them thirty
1: fucking years later. Well, I mean, one of the things that I've always said, you know, with my kids and stuff, is life has a soundtrack, right? And I think what you guys are talking and what you're talking about, Nick, and me not being able to pick number one, is that this band for me is part of my life soundtrack. Crying out loud, I had a song picked out for my funeral from this band, right? I mean, so this idea, you know, and and you guys talk about this a lot in your podcast. You know, it brings you back to a time, a place, a feeling, an emotion, right? A moment.
0: All right, I'm going to ask this question just because it irritates the fuck out of Nick every time I ask it. Who's better, Steve Perry or Eddie Vedder? Go ahead. Go throw
3: something at him. Take the fucking... (laughs)
1: I don't, you know that, saying, I don't even know. I don't even know if I, I don't even know how to dignify a response to that. I mean, uh, same, like, what? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Eddie Vedder on that one. I am in agreement. But I thought I'd ask oh, you. Really?
3: Oh, you're in agreement? Oh, that's great.
0: Yeah, I was worried for a second there. All right, who's the MVP here? I'll, I'll go. I think it's. Go ahead. <laughs> I think it's the band's integrity. I really do. These guys stuck it to Ticketmaster, and it cost them a fortune. And they they didn't win. And they didn't win. But they still stood up for it. They have a lot of causes that they sing about or issues that they sing about. But you don't come off like, um, you know, you two also does a lot of this same kind of thing, but you always feel like you're being preached to... It's different. ...with Pearl, with U2. I'm not discounting what U2 has done and the benefits that they've done and, sure. and, and the, the good that they've accomplished. But Pearl Jam... Their integrity is strong. They they didn't put out videos because they didn't want you to have an image in your head right. on what this band was or what they did. They wanted, and that cost them, you know, something That's, else too, right? That, so
3: it's interesting that you bring up you too, because Bono had a conversation with Eddie Vedder at the time of their rise, and he said, you guys are next. You're the next ones. Later then, Bono said, he's like, I kind of get it now. He's like, he never wanted it.
1: Right, I mean, it's an activism ban, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even even in their uh, acceptance speech in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, Eddie Vedder gets up there and he says, climate change is real, this is not fake news, and we do not want to be the generation that they look back on and go, how could you let this happen?
0: All right, that brings us to our rankings. Buts, how do you rank these guys, scale of one to five on skill?
1: I think they're tremendously talented. Honestly, I do uh, four, seven. Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I got them at a four five. The, the, the whole band is tight. I had them at a four
0: four. I bought their catalog.
1: A huge catalog. You know, for me, I, I think there's some rock and stuff later in their catalog, but as a whole, three eight. Well, I mean, when
3: we get into these bands with the long history, it's this kind of like the Stones, you know, right. catalog. There's a lot of clunkers in there. You know, I'll, I'll steal an idea from from a, a fellow podcaster. Can you go twenty songs deep on this band and still come up with a good one? I think that you can. I think,
0: you can. I think you can.
3: So I think that we're probably. I'm looking at like a four two.
0: For me, after they got through those first three albums, and then they hit No Code, and after that, I was I had kind of written them off. I, I had to I had to ding them for that, and I had to drop them to a two seven, Whoa. because they had these three. Obviously, the Pantheon album. And then they had a couple of follow-ups, which were right there, yeah. like Nick's talking about. You got this little tickle, and then right. you were like, ah, this is just leaving me yeah. a little bereft of what I wanted. Versus sold a million albums yeah. in one week. It right. set a record. Yeah. It set a record. That's crazy. But that's, that's where I am. Wow. So Ooh. Image. Image is where I gave them uh, a boost. I put these guys at a 4.8. They were cool jumping off of rafters and that what a great video and i always remember thinking like who's that poor asshole that took the boot to the teeth <laughs> <laughs> he did,
3: he did that. that all the time dave Grohl talks about it it's like they were doing a show nirvana and pearl jam at the end of their i think it was at the end of 91 or two or the end of 92 anyhow he, he said he was like he went up there like 150 feet and he's like this motherfucker's gonna die so what do you got what do you guys have i have then? them at a 5.0 they were the coolest fucking thing that i remember in the grunge era
1: yeah, I'll just split it down the middle and go a four and nine just for the sake of time.
0: <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. This is a, you a know, good long episode, but we got three of us and it's three old friends just sitting here kind of chewing the fat while we talk about a band that we love. Appreciate you listening to us. Hey, if you really like the episode, please share it on your social media. That helps us out. Give us some reviews on iTunes and anything else you can do. Gentlemen, you want to say goodbye? Welcome, Minot, North Dakota. Just reached our feet.
3: Oh. There's a big Air Force base up there.
0: Oh, that's right. There's a- and that's Greece. There. Welcome, Greece. Sorry to leave you till the end. <laughs> I, know. I thought you were saying
3: there's Greece in Minot. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose. Goddamn scotch. You're <laughs> doing bacon, I guess.
1: I-, I just want to say thank you both for not only allowing me to sit in here with you guys today. I mean, this has been incredible. I... But you know, just to be part of the show and doing the intro, and I just—I I really, truly mean this when I say I have so much respect for what you guys are doing. I'm a huge fan, and even if I didn't know you guys, I would be a huge fan. And so, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, sit in and with you guys today and talk about one of my favorite bands. Thank you.
0: Absolutely, it's been Thanks. a privilege. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming. Take care, folks. God damn, that's good scotch. Mm-hmm.